Ladies and gentlemen, it's 2024. We've made it to 2024. Will we make it to 2025? That is really the question. Well, not the Rem and Sam podcast. The Rem and Sam podcast, make no mistake, if the world ends in 2025 or before 2025, the the Rem and Sam podcast will still continue. We, We can do the pod from, me and Sam can do the pod from a nuclear bunker, I think. As long as uh, as long as we can get league pass in a nuclear bunker or in like a space station, we can uh, we can pull off the pod. But we've made it another year. We continue to trek on. And before we bring in Fataport to discuss a crazy weekend in college football, especially and definitely some craziness in the NFL as well, too. Really, just a bunch of craziness in the state of Michigan. And before we bring on Fataport to discuss all of that, there is one piece of NBA news that we should mention quickly. Quickly, I think I think quickly is definitely involved. It's the OG Ananobi trade to the New York Knicks. And I think, well, really, I'd say the first big trade of the NBA season. I know we had the Harden trade to the Clippers in there as well, too. But won a hardened trade at this point. And then, you know, too, like we, we knew that we knew that that was, we knew that that was going to happen at some point. The seeds were laid for that in the off season. It made the statements. We knew that that situation was going sideways. And I know that he attempted to make it work there for a little bit, but it was, it was, it, it made sense that that situation was going to come to an end at some point. So, and, you know, the Raptors as well, too, have kind of been on the edge of their situation ending as well. And I know that, you know, when you have a group of a core group of guys that are like a round one playoff type of guy, it's like, OK, is it really I guess, can we call it a, a situation? But regardless, the, the group of guys that the Raptors has had there, it has felt like a move was it just it felt like it felt like that there was a, at least a bunch of attractive pieces on there anyways and pieces that NBA teams were looking at OG Ananobi maybe the most attractive especially right now as well too with the contract he's on he is finally on the move to the New York Knicks for Emmanuel Quickly RJ Barrett and a second round pick via the Detroit Pistons as well, so throw a top 35 pick in there for OG Ananobi. And if we're trying to figure out who won this trade, this is, you know, I, this is, we're not obviously doing instant reactions. Like the trade happened a couple of days ago, but even though I've started it for a couple of days now, it is a, t- it is a tough one to figure out who won this deal. And it ultimately, I think there's going to be a couple of things that decide who won this deal. But I think the more that I have stared at it, it's it, it, it's close. And I think the thing that has been hard to process is, you know, the Knicks have been one of the most, when, it, you know, it comes to running a team, making these moves, they've just been one of the most incompetent franchises that we've had at the NBA. And Masai on the other side, Masai Ujiri for the Toronto Raptors, has kind of been the model of consistency for a GM in the NBA. And I know he's gone up and down in terms of when he's being talked about. You know, the Kawhi Raptors, he pulls off that trade. He's definitely being talked about a lot more then. 
But he has definitely been always been highly regarded, always been considered one of the best. And the Knicks have been turning things around. I think the group that they have in there right now managing things has done a really good job. But just mentally looking at a deal and going, the Knicks made a trade with Masai Ujiri and maybe got the better end of the deal. And again, it is close. And we can go through the pieces here and talk it out. But really, we we are going to have to talk it out. Because again, I think it's close. If I had to lean a direction, I would say the Knicks for right now. But we can talk it out. Now, the reason I would say the Knicks to start is because Ananobi for what this trade is, like we're saying, there is just a lot of uncertainty for what this trade is going to look like down the road. But I think Ananobi is definitely the most certain piece of the deal. We know what he is. He fills his role extremely well. Pause. Like the corner threes, the defense, He he's going to do it all extremely well. And we also, like, we have the benefit of seeing both of these guys play with their teams as well, too. I guess three of these guys, Ananobi, Barrett, and Quickly. At the, at the time we're recording this on Tuesday night, we have the benefit of these guys playing in a game. So Ananobi is the most certain part of the deal. And I think because of that right now, I would have to give a slight edge to the Knicks. And as as good as Quickly is, and we can talk about Quickly, but as good as he is, I do think Ananobi does give them a better playoff dynamic, at least the Knicks starting five as well, or the, the five that they're going to be finishing with or ideally finishing with pause on these lineups in these playoff games. He is gives them a better look in these matchups with that defense, with the corner shooting, the players he can guard as well too. The fact that now you have a big wing who defensively is one of the best league in the league and you can throw him on Tatum. You can, I think at least try to match him up with Giannis. You know, it's going to be tough for Ananobi to, or for anybody to stop Giannis. But I think they're, you know, at least for stretches of a game and probably to finish games as well too. It's, 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 it's tough with Giannis, you know, and Bede is obviously he's not, he's not going to match up with Embiid, but he does give you more versatility in these matchups. I think he fits Netter better next to Brunson than at least Barrett did. So at least, you know, Ananobi's certainty is, I think at this point, what gives the Knicks the edge in this deal. But the quickly piece of this is really interesting because quickly this season, like you could argue quickly has been the third best player on the Knicks this year behind Brunson and Randall. His per 36 numbers for his career right now is 22 points a game, 22 and a half points a game, 39% from three, 87% from the three percentage free throw line. That's in his time with the Knicks. That doesn't include the one game that he has played with the Raptors. And his career as a starter as well, too. So that was per 36 for every game that he's played. But in the games that he's like started and actually gotten the, the heavy minutes, 21 points a game, five assists, five rebounds, 46-39-80 shooting splits. But again, he is their third best player. And Anadobi's probably going to slide in and be the third member of that group in New York. You know, the third, you know, again, as a trade asset guy, as just as, as, yeah, as a player, as doing what he does really well, 
he is going to be their third best player on that team. And the dynamic of Ananobi as a three-point shooting, three and D wing on that team next to Brunson is a better fit than what quickly can give them upside wise. And I like, I like the fit with him and Brunson and I think they're playing really well together, but again, it's just a better fit with Ananobi in that five man lineup. So the fact that they upgraded their third best player in this deal and they have to part with the pick as well too. And part with RJ Barrett, who we'll talk about, but I think upgrading that spot again, puts the Knicks ahead slightly for the moment, but quickly next to Scotty Barnes is going to be really interesting because Scotty Barnes, obviously now, and even, you know, from that 21 class is emerging as maybe, maybe the number one guy in that class. But I mean, definitely the guy that the Raptors are going to build around. He's been fantastic. I think top 10, you know, value over replacement player guy this season. So quickly as a guard, a, a good shooting guard as well, too. Nearly 40% from three for his career. I, especially if Scotty Barnes is going to be and continue to shoot this well from three. I do think that fit there is nice, too. And, you know, there's some contract, little contract reset kind of things that you might be able to pull off here as well, too. Ananobi's probably going to demand a high price. And so is quickly when he hits free agency. But just because of Ananobi's skill set, he may be able to get more money. But the Barrett piece of this is the piece where this is the, is Masai still like a basketball genius? I'm not saying that if this trade, you know, if this trade just turns into a disaster that he's not. But for this move anyway, is he a genius for pulling off this move and getting RJ Barrett? Because I'm, you know, one of the questions that you have to ask yourself when a trade like this is done is, why now? What is the timing of this deal? And the pieces that Masai gets back in this deal, again, if that if it if the main pieces of this deal are quickly in that pick, because I do think that quickly is, and I don't think that's a hot take at this point either, that quickly is the centerpiece of this deal. I know RJ Barrett has the name value, but definitely uh the court on the play and the shooting efficiency is the big thing, but I think quickly is well regarded as the number one piece to this deal. So if quickly and that pick are the main parts of the package, that's probably going to be there later, closer to the deadline. But if RJ Barrett somehow turns it around, plays better and his stock goes back up, Maybe him as the third option in this deal, you know, we're, we'll say a throw in, even though I don't think it is, it's absolutely not a throw in, but yeah, yeah, we'll say third option. Him as the third option in this deal. That seems to be the most vulnerable part of this trade and quickly as well too. Maybe quickly's value skyrockets as well. And maybe the quickly Ananobi thing becomes closer. But again, with Ananobi's fit, I think his, value would remain consistent for you know a couple of couple of months here not even that maybe like uh five weeks but barrett if if barrett is able to somehow turn this around in toronto then that's the piece that i think Masai was kind of like 
I don't again, I don't just want to say he was searching out Barrett, but that's really the piece that's going to determine whether or not the, the Raptors lost this deal because quickly in Ananobi, it, it, again, it's a, it's a fit thing, but I think Ananobi, I think you're just going to take Ananobi in that situation and having a, a top 35 pick in the Pistons is a good asset to get, but Barrett's going to be the swing piece for this deal. And if, if he was a guy that was, again, a throw-in piece of just a, you know, a guy that was totally worthless, had no value, then we would look at this deal and probably go, hey, the Knicks probably could have, you know, or the Raptors probably could have gotten a couple of more pieces back for this. But the fact that this is the fact that this is close still means that RJ Barrett, I think, does hold value as a rotation guy. Tough part is gonna be, you know, if you don't shoot then fit at this point is just going to be hard. And he does good things well, but all of the things that he does well as a scorer need to have a shooting element to their game to make them better as well too, but to fit in these offenses because he's going to need the ball. He gets downhill, gets to the rim, and he can get to the free throw line as well too, big body. But the mid-range stuff has just not been falling this year. The three-point shot as well too. And you know you can look at those numbers for most of the seasons that, he's had at this point. So again, the, the, the Scotty Barnes shooting numbers have been good this year, but has, who knows where he'll level out in terms of a consistent performance from him. But even if he is a 40% three point shooting guy, just the not shooting thing is going to be tough for RJ Barrett to overcome. And I think if you look at his box plus minus for his career, now he's been in the minus for, every season of his career. So if, if, if Barrett hits, then that's going to be really the piece that I think, I think Masai is definitely taking a swing on Barrett here. Cause I think we do know what quickly is quickly upside could be a good 20 point a game score. Again, 40 point percent, three point shooter could, I don't, you know, be a, a, a lead guard, but again, a lead guard where it's like, okay, we have Scotty Barnes and other big perimeter players to, do the big things and quickly is, you know, playing that position and doing it very well. But Barrett definitely seems to be the swing piece here. Cause again, that 30, you know, a top 35 pick is a valuable pick. I think, you know, getting basically in a way three first ish round type assets for Masai is good value for Ananobi. But again, the Barrett variability here is going to be a big thing. And maybe it is not just, if he plays well for this team, because he's going to be under contract for a couple of years longer as well, too. So if they're able to maybe flip him for something, but if his value right now is the potentially the third most attractive asset in a OG on an OB trade, who knows what they're flipping him for, but he is going to be what Masai is hinging his hopes on. And precious Achua for the Knicks is a guy who me and Sam both like, but this is now the second time he's been thrown into a deal like this. He was in the Lowry deal that brought him to Toronto from the Miami Heat. So again, I think we, me and Sam both like him as a rotation piece, but he keeps getting chucked into these deals and guys like that. It's like, okay, uh, you know, he's never really been, I don't think he's ever finished higher than like seventh on a team in minutes. So, I mean, I, you know, I did just, this deal is Ananobi, Barrett quickly 
the pick. And, you know, I get, you know, no disrespect to <laughs> Precious Achua. He is a, a solid rotation piece. But what is next for these teams as well, I think, is just as big to determining who won this trade as the on-court performances of the players. Because for the Raptors, again, with the timing of this deal, I wouldn't. I would not have guessed that Ananobi would have been the first Raptor traded. I, you know, I think all of the a couple of these core Raptor guys have been in rumors. You know, him and Siakam, but the Siakam rumors in season this year, there have definitely been more of them, and it seems like a lot of teams really have their eye. Teams, I think Atlanta has been one of the teams specifically that they said have, you know, that I've I've read from. I I don't really remember who, but that I've read that. They've been interested. The team that's uh, that that is a team that has really been interested in Siakam. So I thought I, you know, for me personally, he would have been my odds-on favorite Raptor to get traded. So the fact that Ananobi got dealt before him, like I wonder if there is something in the works already for Siakam. Because like we're saying, they have been talking to these teams. It sounds like from the reports, it sounds like they're trying to put some stuff together, and. I, you know, we like quickly as a player in this trade and maybe RJ Barrett turns into something, but it's not like this trade necessarily makes them better. And, you know, this team was not, this team's a play in team anyway. So, you know, it's like, how much better are we trying to get? But it's not a trade that makes you better, but it's also not a trade that necessarily tanks you out. You know, it's a classic Maasai move, getting a, a player for a player. But what direction is this team? want to go in and I, you know, this, this making a move like this, getting a little bit younger signals. Hey, maybe we, you know, fitting the Scotty Barnes timeline a little bit more is going to make this next Siakam piece. Interesting. Cause again, if they don't, if they don't have a Siakam deal in the works, you know, I wonder why, if, you know, why would you trade on an at that point? Again, this, the, the trade doesn't really move the needle. So this, a Siakam deal is going to be, Interesting to see what they get because if Messiah is doing these player for player type deals, what kind of player are you going to get back for Siakam? Is it going to be a young guy? Again, that fits that Scotty Barnes timeline. That's going to be like a young cornerstone guy going forward. Is it going to be a veteran guy? Is it going to be a, uh, you know, a, a good solid guy who we know who he is, is in the peak of his powers and is going to give you good minutes. Like, if it's going to be player for player for Siakam, what is that trade going to look like? Messiah's not shown an interest in trading for a lot of picks. And I don't, you know, who knows how many picks you get for Siakam, but it would be a good haul. So what would they do next for Siakam is obviously, I think everybody's on red alert for that with the Raptors. And for the Knicks, I think... You know, they're they're obviously a team that dreams big on the guys that they could get. So I like, yeah, I like this deal. I think that right now they're slightly ahead for who would have gotten the better end of this move. But if they're going to go get like an A-plus guy, I feel like they kind of needed the quickly and the Barrett pieces to throw in there. And they still have some picks. They still have a plethora of rotation, you know, wing players. If you want to start throwing DiVincenzo Hart, you know, we obviously, uh, other guys, you could start chucking in there as well too. But are they out of the market now for the A-plus level 
top tier star. You know, Embiid, Giannis, those are always the two names that I, or those are the two names anyways that I think Nick fans have been monitoring as of late. And those are tough packages to go put together in general. But now that quickly is not on the team, I wonder how realistic, just I'd like the ability to put a trade together for an A plus tier type of guy, you know, and B Giannis, AD getting traded out of the Lakers seems pretty unlikely. Same with Bam in Miami, but you know, for just dreaming big, if we're just like acting like a Knicks fan and just dreaming uh big and crazy, like are are you able to now put a package together to at least make the move for one of those guys? So if you're not able to do that now with Barrett and quickly gone, well, now you're in the market for like that B, you know, that B plus tier star. Donovan Mitchell is obviously the hot name right now for the New York Knicks fans. But if you're going to trade for that level of guy on this team right now, even after this Ananobi deal, even if they bring in a guy like Mitchell, like if they bring in Donovan Mitchell right now, is that, you know, it definitely doesn't make them better than Boston, but does it put them in that group? Does it make them a tier one group? I still don't know if this team is a B plus level star away from being an A plus level team, if that makes sense. And then if you're going now, you know, if, if we're going to trade for like a rotation piece, well, now we're kind of like giving away assets to fill in the holes that we just created by making this trade. And the thing is, it's like, you know, you might with some teams, it's like, okay, you kind of have to pick your weaknesses. And obviously you don't want to have to do that, but in this type of deal, it's okay. We're trading a guy in quickly who can be our backup point guard, handle the bench minutes, but also be a guy that can fit in our final five or a guy who is a final five guy, but he's going to do his role a lot, you know, a, a lot, a, a lot better fit for this team, he's going to provide some more valuable skills that we don't have. So you're going to get a different look. So if you have to start now trading away future picks and really taking away from those assets to get that A-plus star to fill in the gaps around this team, well, now you're kind of just solidifying your place as a four or five seed in the Eastern Conference. So in terms of where the Knicks are dreaming big right now, that is kind of where I'm wondering with them making this quickly trade because again, I like the move on an individual basis. I like the fit on this team. I like the player for player move, but I think, you know, it's always a long shot for the Knicks to go out and get these a plus guys, but are they okay with doing that with being, with saying, Hey, we're really going to, and not we're really going to commit to being a fourth seed, but we are just, you know, we have Brunson, we have Randall, we're going to go get a couple of rotation guys and we're just going to play as good as we can. And we understand that you may not view us as that top tier team, but Hey, we're turning this thing around. We're putting a, get it, putting together a consistent organization and we're trying to win as much as possible. Like I totally get all that. I totally get where that, you know, that, that is definitely a good thing. I think Nick fans would love to see, but that is also something that they could have had with quickly. And I think big picture with this Ananobi deal, again, with these teams, that next thing I think is going to be important because the needle has, the needle's not really been moved here. They're 
I think a, a lineup that makes a lot more sense with that five and they can do some nice things with the wings they have around Brunson. If they continue to build that way. I like what they're doing, but you know, I guess, you know, even if they want to move like Julius Randall, for example, in a big deal, you know, is that your number one piece now? And if, if Randall is going to be in a player for player package and you're going to get a star player, like it, are, what's the, what's the upgrade? There are you gonna are you are you gonna put Randall? Is Randall gonna be in a trade for one of these A plus tier stars? Even with uh, you know, the picks packages are the other fan bases and front offices gonna talk themselves into that. It's uh you know, and I don't I don't even know if the Knicks fans want to necessarily move on from Julius Randall. And you know, I don't think you're definitely gonna trade Brunson at this point. So if you're just looking realistically for guys, if if the Knicks want to potentially make a move, make another move, and continue to add to this group of guys and go, hey, Brunson, Randall is the core. Let's see what else we can get. I do think a, a potential realistic trade target for them next to go get, if you're now out of the A-plus market and the B-plus market, you don't want to overpay for that. I do think that you could you could get a fair price on Mikkel Bridges. And I know, you know, it's a hometown thing. The Brooklyn, the Knicks, I get that maybe there's some inner city rivalry there. But we were saying, you know, in the offseason with the FIBA team, with the FIBA team, that the Villanova connection between Brunson, between Hart, between DiVincenzo, like it kind of landed all those guys in New York. And Josh Hart kind of signed up for that team. The FIBA team kind of late. Was he recruiting Bridges? Like the, we've we've been keeping our eye on Mikel Bridges to the New York Knicks for a while. So, if the Knicks want to make one other move to add to this core, that right now is my number one guy. Fit makes sense. Could do a lot. You know, again, another big wing guy. Defense, the shooting. I don't think you could necessarily have too many of those. And now that Barrett and Quickly are both out of there. It's not like you got like a ton of guards to go around. So, you know, if backup point guard, again, is potentially an issue. But if they're going to make another trade, I think it needs to be for a guy like that. But again, I think we're going to need to see. This is a this is really a wait and see trade, which I don't think we've necessarily had for a while. I think a lot of the moves. Well, you know, I think obviously every trade is like that. But I think a lot of the moves have. Uh, there's just been a lot of very dramatic NBA moves. And this feels like a good one. It feels like there is a world where it's very reasonable that both of these teams got good ends of the deal. Again, like we were saying, especially if, if RJ Barrett can play well. And I think his numbers look good from his debut as well, too. Shot like 50% from the field. I can't recall if uh, he was able to get the line to the line that well, but Masai Ujiri is, I think, putting a pushing a lot of chips into the table on the RJ and and the quickly piece as well too. You know, maybe he sees quickly as the next Tyrese Maxey and can develop into that type of guy. But one other NBA thing I did want to mention really quick before we bring in Fatiport was we had the trade obviously with the Raptors, but another piece of news that involved the Raptors, they were the ones. That loss to the Pistons and the Pistons broke their 
20, was it 28 games that the streak ended at the 28 game losing streak for the Detroit Pistons. And I, you know, it's hard to say like, what, is there anything good that you can take away from a 28 game losing streak? Is there any, like, it's just, is there anything that could potentially stand out at all from something like that? And Kate is, I think been, uh, you know, I think it's, it's, it's tough to have an opinion on anybody on the Pistons roster right now. I think especially Cade Cunningham as a former number one overall pick. And as just as a guy that you want to be the lead guy, franchise guy, main guy, you know, there's definitely some question marks when your team is losing this much, but I do have to say that the, the way he was playing toward the end of that streak so the first five, 25, the first 25 games of the season, he was 21 points a game, 42% from the field, 32% from three, and they were 22 games into their losing streak at that point. But again, the, the last seven games of that streak that he played and into the win, he was 31 points a game, eight assists, 55% from the, from the field, 47% from three seven free throw attempts a game as well too. And over that stretch, he was also third and fourth quarter minutes scored per game behind Trey Young and Anthony Simons. And a lot of those games near the the end there were really close. I mean, the other teams were playing them competitive, trying not to lose. And they lost by, yeah, they had a six point loss, eight point loss. Six, six, and then finally, uh, you know, a two-point win versus Toronto. It took everything they had to finally get it done. And then, you know, the next game, they lose by 23 to the to Houston, and Cunningham goes out there, shoots three for 16. Still has 10 assists, though. I think the playmaking thing is something that he's definitely flashed all season. But him as a scorer, and, you know, people are saying, you know, him as a franchise guy, but franchise franchise guys... That just that's just a tough thing. And I think sometimes, you know, being a 1A versus a 1B is, you know, like Jimmy Butler's the type of guy. Is he a traditional franchise guy? But Jimmy Butler, you know, ends up in the finals every year compared to some of these other superstars. So, you know, I think the the Cade Cunningham franchise discuss, you know, franchise guy discussion, I'm definitely not writing him off as that. Because the thing is, again, like, he upped his level of play at the end of that streak. You could tell he cared. You could tell he was really going, like he was really trying not to lose. He really wanted to carry that team. And the fact that, you know, you're again, you're saying, hey, they're still falling short while he's doing that. Maybe that's a red flag. But I think we can look at this Pistons roster and go, you know, if we put Cade in another situation and he actually was able to play at, you know, oh, if he was actually able to play at a reasonable level, of competitiveness night to night on a team. I think, you know, maybe he turns it around and I think we would definitely see some great stuff from Cade because, you know, again, the game after that, it's like the streak has been broken. They're their third win of the season. I mean, he knows big picture where this season is going. So just mentally, can you blame the guy for letting up a little bit? And again, like the, the assist to turnover thing for this game was still good. 10 assists to four turnovers is still uh, a fine performance on the playmaking end of things. So having a bad shooting night after having to carry such a heavy workload and then, you know, a discouraging one as well, too, because you're losing a lot. So mentally, just the way he was able to grind through the end of that streak 
pull out the win, continue to play well. We'll just we'll we'll continue to monitor the Cade Cunningham performance this season because I just you know I still have Cade Cunningham stock. I still like him, and I think he played well at the end of that streak. So wanted to point it out. Wanted to at least make Pistons fans feel good about something for the all of your suffering over the losses. Cade is a guy. Cade is a guy. If you're able to figure out something around Cade, he is a guy that you want to keep around. And we talked about it too. Duran's a guy. You know, who knows what a Sir Thompson develops into. There are definitely some, you know, a couple of good things there. But needless to say, a lot to improve on for the Detroit Pistons. But Cade Cunningham is uh, still on the my guys list. I still think a bright future ahead for that young man. But we, I think it's time now to bring in Ian Fadiport. We should probably get to it. College football, NFL, New Year's resolutions. I, I forget what we all talked about. We already recorded that part of it. So coming up next, let's run now. Welcome back. We've got a couple of, up, I don't know, upgraded sets, different sets. Fatiport's running with a new angle, but we've still got Herky in the background. And you know Fatiport's still here for 2024. Ian Fatiport on Twitter, if you want to give him a follow. Happy New Year, Fatiport. How's it going, 2024? Happy New Year. It's going good so far. Uh, two days into it, I have no complaints. Are any of us going to make the jokes? Haven't seen you since last year. It's been a whole, it's been a, it's been a whole year. <laughs> I don't I think, think I, I don't think either of us. <laughs> yeah, I don't think yeah. either of us are at that stooped to that level yet. But have you, do you have any New Year's resolutions? You need to let people know about it. I mean, all? it's it's are kind you of a New Year's that, resolution like, kind of guy. Makes, not typically because I know that I don't really follow them. But like mine this year is to is to lose some weight, and like I've said that in the past, and nothing's really happened. So we'll see yeah. if I actually stick to it or not. But. Off of, the, off of the second day, we're on a good start so far. Going to the gym? But you were going to the gym. You know, you've been going since what, the fall? Yeah, for the last couple months at least. Probably since yeah, so, I mean, October. I try to go at least three days a week. Yeah, it's like, so the habit's already there. So it's like 2024 is really just staying committed. And what is yeah. the weight that's an issue? Like, what if you what if you stayed the same weight, but it was just all, like, you could, you know, cut and then bulk back up and then just be like solid eh, i mean we'll we'll see what happens like I, I i think i'd prefer to drop the weight instead of just like look massive but we'll, we'll see what happens bodybuilder fat <laughs> does this mean protein shakes now and protein bars I've chicken, been chicken and rice while, but just like yeah the basic Everybody thinks of, oh, you got to eat a lot of chicken, drink a lot of protein shakes. Keeping it simple. I feel yeah. like my my New Year's resolution, honestly, like I, I feel like everybody does fitness and diet New Year's resolutions. And but see, like the, the thing was, is I've always kind of been like a healthy diet kind of person. And I mean, you know, you know where I'm, I'm sitting at on the, the other side of the fitness journey, Fatipore, trying to, you know, bulk mm -hmm. up a little bit. I feel like this year, my New Year's resolution is almost to, it's like an opposite New Year's resolution. Like this might be the year where I just commit to junk food and just say it's a trash <laughs> diet and just try to put on the weight. I've, I, you know, it's, I've been eating, you know, trying to stay healthy, trying to do it. But the problem is there's like a budget involved as well too. Price of foods, obviously yeah. not getting any cheaper. So 
I mean, 2024, we can uh, vote to change that if you guys are looking to do that. But, you know, I think maybe this is the year where we just go, hey, McDonald's is the move. Jack's pizzas every night. Just lay on the dirty bulk and then fix it later on. Yeah, I feel like the arteries can handle it for one year, right? Just one big year. I mean, I've been alive for the last 21, and it somehow figured itself out. So you shot. You should probably be fine. Did we make that? The, should we like set a oh, set a goal and then see if we can meet it? <laughs> do like a do like a double thing. A remin a remin. Like I lose a certain amount of weight, you put on a certain amount. Yeah. Do you think we could? Do you think we could find a number that we could both get to that that we could make it? In 12 months? What are you at right now? I was on the scale the other day. I take and cut out the numbers so it's uh, <laughs> so we can just talk about it. But uh, I think I was sitting around. Yeah. And so what do you want to what do you want to get to? My goal by the end of the year is to be below 200. Low 200, so 190, 180? Some would not. I mean, as long as the number is below 200, I am happy. 200. 199. So, oh, 199.5? Just, it's just like qualifying for a fight. It's just He just needs to make weight. That's it. Yeah. But I feel like that's a, that's a good goal. Could I get above 200? I mean, I think I definitely could, but could I get above 200 and not be like a sweaty mess by the end of it maybe I mean, uh maybe yeah, that's a different for, question uh from march of 2020 to i think it was september of 2020 i went from 185 to 240. yeah so you could definitely do it i think if i did like a a jack because i could definitely do a jacks two two or three times a day <laughs> then i feel like i would just by june i don't even know how my my system would be taking it. We'll workshop the the Rem and Dam fitness bit for the future. Yeah. Maybe we'll maybe we'll cook something up for 2024 because fantasy faceoff is obviously closed out with uh, yeah. the Fataport victory. So we won't be. We, I don't think we're going to be doing a fantasy faceoff this week. But there is still a ton of stuff that happened. Obviously, the New Year means that we had bowl games. Means that we have. The what would have been the end of the regular season from the old NFL, but we do have at least one more week left, week 17. But I mean, I don't have to be biased right now to put Michigan first on uh, in the priorities, you know, things to talk about. Because I just, I, yeah. it, they finally got the playoff win. They take down Bama in the Rose Bowl. And, you know, I'm not bad for, I'm not usually like a big conference guy in general. Like, I, you know, I, I don't mind the Big Ten. It's, you know, it obviously, and it does benefit Michigan in some way in these playoff things to have a, a strong conference. But, like, in general, Big Ten and Big Ten culture, I've never really, like, been like, oh, yeah, we're the best, you know, screw the SEC, screw everybody else. But the Rose Bowl, I think, is the best college bowl game. And I think it does, if you, if you go back and look, too, just the recent bowl games that we've had, like Trace mcsorley Sam Darnold game, but that wasn't a playoff game, but that was a good game. And I know some of the other playoff games was the was the Georgia Ohio State game, the Rose Bowl last year. I guess the Rose Bowl probably would have been out of the playoff rotation if it was in it this year. But I forget. What... 
Yeah, I don't think it was. I think the Rose Bowl last year was the five and six game. The five and six. I try because the the two lane USC game was the big bowl game, but I think that was the Cotton Bowl. That, that was, was like yeah. a super high scoring matchup. But regardless, Michigan Bama. I think it's gonna. It's a classic, anyways. I don't know if it was like a classic great game, but a classic game because it was a dramatic game, a lot of stakes. Came down to the very end, went to overtime. Michigan pulls out the win. So I, what were just, you know, the first play you thought Michigan was, you know, going into the game, you think Michigan's going to lose. It's like, they're definitely going to lose. Then throughout the game, maybe they're going to win and then they're, they're going to lose again. So what was your emotions like watching it? I know they're not your team, but for you, just what was it like watching? Yeah. Knowing, knowing what I was going through on the other side, what was your emotions like on this game? To start, like the last couple of months, I've been on the Bama train, and I also had uh, maybe some Alabama money line for this game as well. Mm. So going into it, I was like, oh, Bama, they're going to continue the hot streak. They're going to show Michigan that they're not the best team in the in the nation. Uh, and then that first play, the first play of the game where he throws that pick, which eventually did get overturned, I was like, holy shit, Bama might actually do it. We might win some money here. And then, yeah, as the game threw out, it just kind of seemed like whoever had the ball at that point was the team that was going to win. Uh, when it got down to the end and Michigan had to go down the field, score that touchdown with in the two-minute drill, I was like, there's no way in hell that no one's, that anyone stops this Michigan offense. Like, they've been doing this the whole season, uh, mainly while blowing people out, but they're in a close game and they're not going to be stopped, and they did exactly that. And then you get to overtime, and it was just the Michigan show again. And just to go back a little bit too, but so the Rose Bowl last year was Penn State, Utah, and it was 35 21 Penn State. But the year before that, Ohio State, Utah, 45 48 Ohio State. We've got an Oregon, Wisconsin one point game in 2019, a Georgia, Oklahoma matchup in 2017, 54 48 Georgia, and then the USC Penn State matchup in this one. So I'm guessing that Georgia Oklahoma game was also a playoff game as well, too. So I think, you know, you throw the playoff implications in for this one. And I do think that the the classic status of this game definitely goes up and that's good for Michigan to finally be on the other side of this classic type game, because they've definitely, you know, they played a couple of highly ranked opponents. Obviously they get the Ohio state matchup every year. But the last two years with McCarthy, it's not like that game was necessarily close. So it's not like McCarthy was in this situation and the Michigan team was in this situation. You know, even in the TCU game last year, they were they were hanging around, but they're really scrambling at the end compared to this is like, okay, we have a a drive to win this game. But I know I know the Michigan win was sloppy, and uh I don't know if well, do you think Alabama should have won this game? First of all, I think Alabama had all the cards to. I think Alabama had all the cards to win this game, uh, but they just couldn't get it done. Uh, I, I think kind of some of it has to be put on their O line. Uh, Miller had to scramble a lot this game, and especially in overtime when it mattered, they he just couldn't get any help when it came to blocking. And I know the O line is definitely going to be the big like takeaway on the field for what happened in this game, but really the biggest thing that I think coming out of this game, that was really shocking or not shocking, but biggest, at least takeaway on the Michigan side of this, from this win was I I really do feel like Harbaugh out coach Saban in this one. 
And, you know, yeah. again, with the, the Michigan success, like he, he has turned this team around to where they're, they've been in the playoffs a couple times. They've beaten the Ohio State team. But he has only beaten Ohio State with Ryan Day. He was 0-4 against Urban Meyer, 3-2 and versus Dan Tony, And just as for his career in general or with Michigan, one in seven in bowl games entering this game, and their only win was in his first season. And they they played Florida. Do you remember the Treon Harris Florida run at all? Number twenty five overall Florida. Twenty fifteen. You can mind. say no because I don't remember it either. That's the only time that yeah. they won a bowl game under Harbaugh. And you know they, you know Jimbo Fisher, Florida State, Dalvin Cook team was in there, but it's not like they had a a, mur- a murderer's row of opponents necessarily. I mean, you know he lost to Kirby Smart. He played Nick Saban in a bowl game as well before this and lost it too. So again, while he he has turned the program around and they're beating good programs, there is still you know this season is still them clearing this last hurdle, and Harbaugh not only getting the win over Saban in this one. But really, I think, you know, the play calling, the the preparation of the team, like I the only reason that this game was close was the was was Michigan's execution in this one and the special teams plays and McCarthy sort of being up and down. But I thought the game plan that they were doing in the first half of this game, obviously the blitz is like yeah, the O line couldn't protect Milrow, but they were it was the perfect blitz call for like everything. It was like, oh, we're running the screen. Well, yeah. we're just, we've called the perfect blitz at this time. There was like a, a draw play where it's like, the, I, I think Herbstreit even pointed it out on the call at that point where there was a guy in the gap and it wasn't even just the guy read the play. It was just the blitz that they had sent on the draw was for him to be in the gap or Milrow was going. And it just felt like time and time again, I, you know, Har- Saban, we can go through the Saban stuff, definitely had his own questions in this game. Putting this questions aside, like the the Harbaugh game plan and I think what he was trying to do in this one, and while they didn't necessarily execute it all, like I think he really took it to Saban in this matchup. No, I agree. And, uh, yeah, it just kind of seemed like the whole game that Michigan kind of figured out their offense. Like, obviously, Milrow was only held to, I think it was like 116 passing yards. Uh, and he did show some flashes when it came to the scrambling. But other than that, at Michigan, they coached a great game, and – uh, we don't see it very often other than uh, Kirby Smart, who's able to outcoach Saban. So when someone else is able to do it, you really got to point notice to it. And I agree with you. I know. Is Kirby, is Kirby Smart like the biggest winner in this game that wasn't in this game? Because after the SEC championship, there's, the Saban people were really back on Saban. And I mean, if you really go through, again, the stuff like Michigan, the, 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 the you know, there has been two two or three teams this year that we have said all season and the defenses have just been, you know, what are the best units in college football? And we have said that the Michigan defense is the best unit. It's a young O-line for Alabama. Again, you know, Milrow two at, you know, Milrow versus McCarthy is a close quarterback matchup. And the, the talent on this Alabama team compared to other Alabama teams. But the play calling in this one, I thought for Saban was definitely a little bit sketchy. Like McClellan, for example, the running back, had 14 carries in this. And that is like kind of right on his season average. He was 13.8 going into this game. But for this game, you know, he was six over six yards of carry in this one. And I know, again, this is kind of mm-hmm. this, they kind of used him similarly 
to what they what they had throughout the season. But I thought really they should have really stuck with the run game, really stuck with him. I know, you know, they get that first rushing touchdown off of the muff punt that Michigan has. But that 34-yard touchdown, you know, he makes a great move on the safety, beats him one-on-one, gets to the end zone. And then the next two drives after that, so they start the next drive with a run, but it's not McClellan, it's Williams. Good player, but again, McClellan really kind of took it to Michigan in this one. Had a negative one-yard run, and then back-to-back passes, three and out. And then the next drive after that as well, just three straight passes, three and out. This is, again, in the first half when we're talking about the Michigan defense just blitzing, getting to Milrow. And then they go back to McClellan again, and it's like two times in the line. Everybody knows it's coming. They weren't really setting him up for success. So, you know, the, the, the Michigan offense was struggling at that time. It's not like they necessarily pulled away. But definitely in that first half, I, I, it seemed like they definitely should have run the ball more in this one. And I know like they, Milrow, they corrected a little bit with the QB draws. But you're a McClellan guy, right? I've, you've had a lot of McClellan stock. You've had his eye on his eye on him in the the dynasty league i have so, yeah you know, I, and i agree with you go ahead oh you know go ahead uh yeah i agree with you that he definitely didn't get the ball enough and especially uh how explosive he's been able to be this season for alabama and i was surprised that they were also uh rotating jim miller into the game a lot as well i saw him more in the second half a lot yeah uh so yeah that kind of shocked me as like mcclellan who's been like kind of that guy for Alabama, whether it's uh, on the ground or in the air, and just the lack of participation he had in this game. And Miller, I think he, you know, just watching him, I'm not, you know, super, you know, I can't give you the full Alabama rotation, but just watching him get, has more of the vibe of like a third down pass catching back. Maybe, you know, they're, maybe they're trying to do something different in the offense. Like, you know, I, I can see what Saban is doing there, but I do like uh, McClellan, I think like we both agree, has just been the, obviously the best running back that they've had. He was successful in this game. And, you know, the second half, obviously, they take it to overtime. But did you like the play call at the end to go QB draw up the middle? Because it was a bad snap anyways. And again, it's we can now blame the offensive line for issues. But I was I was texting with Sam after this one. And he was saying, too, that, you know, I don't want to speak out of turn for Sam. But he did say that he was not a fan. He's like, QB draw up the middle. They're they're definitely going to stuff that. Did you Did you like that? At the end of Milrow run? I didn't like it. I didn't like it either. I mean, Michigan's defense, they've been almost the best, if not the best, at stopping the run all season. Uh, when you're that far out outside the goal line, I think they were, what, on the three, and he was in the shotgun. So that's a seven-yard run mm-hmm. right there that he would have had to do uh, against a defensive line who's been able to stuff the inside almost the whole game. Terrible play call. I think it's one of the worst calls that they could put themselves into a position to win. Uh, I think if you just get guys out, like you get, uh, you go shotgun, which is what I would do as well, and then get three or four guys out and just kind of run some crossing routes or something to try to cause some sort of confusion and somebody went, ends up open. Or even if you're going to run the ball, give it to McClellan maybe on an outside pitch or something, something that can get him in space. But when you're just going to give the ball to the quarterback who – Granted, he had he did have some flashes when it came to uh, the scrambling and getting outside of the pocket. Uh, if you're just going to give it to him to run it up the middle, that's, if not, the worst play call that you could have called in that position. So their offensive coordinator right now, Tommy Reese, is in his first season. 
obviously quarterback, college quarterback in Notre Dame, starts off with San Diego Chargers for a year as an assistant, then back to Notre Dame as the QB coach, and then eventually the offensive coordinator for three seasons, and now he is in his first season as the Bama offensive coordinator. Was that the Ian Book teams, the 2020 Notre Dame <laughs> fighting Irish? I'm trying to remember. I don't at least, okay, at least one season of Notre Dame. But were you a big fan of the the 2022 Notre Dame fighting Irish offense? I uh, did not really watch a lot of Did them, it jump off so the page? I can't comment on that. But As a display of great play calling? I'm not saying it was not. You know, the Milrow thing, he definitely turned it around this year. And, I, like, would we still say that this year was still a, a really great job by Saban overall? Like, how much does this, because I do think, I do think winning the SEC over Georgia and Kirby Smart is impressive. So how much does this game, like, affect the, not his legacy overall, but, you know, this, the legacy of this season anyway, and the coaching performance that he was able to pull off? I still think overall it's a positive season. And uh, the way it started was very shaky. They had quarterback problems. They didn't know who the starter was going to be. When Milrow was out there, he looked very confused and not like the number one guy. Uh, and then they lose to Texas in week four, I believe. Uh, yeah, I, so early then week three or four. Throughout the rest of the season, they kind of they finally got that team back together, like the Alabama teams that we're used to seeing, with not near as much star power as we're used to seeing. Like we've had teams with Jamison Williams, who's who's been just one of the best receivers in football, especially down the field. You've got Devonte Smith, who won a Heisman. Uh, even when they had quarterbacks who weren't really known, like. If you go back, A.J. McCarron was one of the best quarterbacks in college football when he played for that Bama team. Uh, so, like, these, this team, not as much talent as we're used to seeing. They took them all the way to the SEC championship, beat arguably the best team in college football this year, knocked them out of the college football playoff, and was able to sneak in there at the fourth spot. And they weren't expected to win this game. Like, they came in as underdogs. They were kind of counted out of this college football playoff, only put in there because they were able to knock Georgia out. And some even say they didn't even deserve the spot over Florida State. So I still think it's overall positive season. I think they ended higher than where the expectations were supposed to be. So that's kind of how I chalked that up for Saban this year. And a lot of these guys are back next year. Like we have been saying, the offensive line is young. Like Caden, I, I still have a lot of Caden Proctor stock. I mean, he's a home, you know, home state guy. So five-star guy, one of the highest recruits that the state has ever put out. So, you know, you want to definitely root for him. I do think he has a lot of talent. Milrow will, will be back, I believe, in his second year as a starter for this team. So, and, and Caleb Downs, who was, he was my, like my favorite player, non-Michigan player in college football until that first play, until he almost ruined Michigan's season on the very first play of the game. But, you know, he's going to be there for at least three more years because he's a true freshman. So outside of Dallas Turner, like most of the the stud guy and Kool-Aid McKinstry as well too. But a lot of the stud guys will be back for this team. Dallas Turner was another one for this game where I thought the Saban usage of him was just a little weird where it seemed like they had him spying a lot and doing a lot of stunts. And again, like I like I'll do the draft study on him. We'll see if this game is kind of like how they did use him a lot in the season. Just in general, like he is their best pass rusher. So like when they actually finally let him like just pass rush in a pass rush set, it was like a third nine in the fourth quarter. He like created pressure and McCarthy had to roll out and threw an incompletion. And there was also all, the, the play that McCarthy made on the, 
the pass back where he mm-hmm. catches it one-handed, spins, throws around. Like, Turner runs all the way across the formation and lays out McCarthy. So, again, like, I'm not, you know, maybe the, the stunts and the, the moving him around is very much in line with how they've used him. But, you know, we're, we're talking about trying to win a championship here. So maybe we can tweak a few things, give McClellan the ball a little bit more, let Dallas Turner just pass rush like he's good at. So, again, a lot of these guys are going to be back. And I do think that taking out Kirby Smart is impressive. But would you rather have Kirby Smart than Nick Saban if you were an AD of a school right now and you had your pen? I, is this Kirby Smart yeah, your number I'd one? Probably... I'd probably have Kirby Smart just because, I mean, he, uh, throughout his career, he was kind of raised in that Nick Saban coaching staff. So uh, to to learn from arguably the greatest coach in college football history, then to go on to beat him uh, in the college football playoff as well as in the SEC championship. Or, right, he did beat him in one SEC championship, didn't he? Yeah. I think yeah. he's beat him now. I think he has a winning record against Smart in SEC championship games now. Technically. Yeah. I so yeah, I think I'd rather I'd rather have Kirby Smart going into the rest of his career. I I think Nick Saban, he might be nearing the end of his tenure as a college football coach. We'll see how that turns out. But I know even Smart. if we were just doing yeah, even if we were just doing like next like seven years for you know, pick a coach, I still, you know, just the way Kirby Smart's been trending lately. Would you take Saban over Harbaugh after this game? Has Harbaugh jumped up into that number two spot? I don't know. I don't know if he has yet. Just because the mind of Saban is still there, and he's been. We doing still need it for to so finish long. the season. I think I yeah. I think I'd still take Saban. Maybe Caleb. Maybe who's the Washington coach? Kalen DeBoer. Kalen DeBoer. That? <laughs> is that his name? Maybe he's the the yeah. actual number two. I mean, you want to you know you got to say Dabo Sweeney's name so the Clemson fans don't get mad, but. I, you know, the, the, the Saban train was fully back on. And I think this game, at least for him being the current belt holder for best coach in college football, at least uh, took a little bit of dip, but the, the McCarthy thing, I think McCarthy was the offensive or the MVP for this game, the most outstanding player. And, you know, Harbaugh is really hyping up his guy after this. He, I think he's getting some Brady comp right now. And there's definitely talk about his status as a, a Michigan quarterback in terms of a legacy. But the thing that, you know, and Brady comps, is, it, it's different because it's the, the NFL thing is so much different than the college thing. But the, the, compa- the, the thing that you, I think, can compare from this game is the Brady just, if, even if he was having a bad game or if he was struggling and if it was close and, you know, the defense was getting to him, and they needed a drive at the end of the game, like he was going to give you that drive. And McCarthy, you know, I think the numbers end up being okay for this game. Like that interception at the end, obviously he was out of bounds, so that doesn't go on the stat sheet. But he was really up and down. And I do think that Corum probably was, on the offense, the best player in this game. But again, McCarthy, with the, the, the Brady thing was, Brady could give you that drive. And when they need McCarthy to actually give you a drive at the end of this game, in regulation, and then obviously the drive again in overtime, he was able to pull it through. So, you know, the, the, the Brady comps are lofty comps, but that clutchness and that leadership, you know, that's something that we've said he's had all season. And I think to display it in this game as well, too, where you're not having a good game is just, you know, another spectacular thing that he's doing. 
Yeah, and I mean, uh, this just adds to his resume more because as of right now, this was the biggest game of his season, obviously, before this next Monday comes up. So just to add to that, that uh, adds even more to the legacy that he will leave at Michigan when he decides to declare for the draft. And as for the Brady comps, I personally haven't really looked up anything about Brady when with his time at Michigan. All I know is his time in the NFL. So I can't comment on that type of comparison. But he is leaving himself one of the better legacies at Michigan, if not the second best, obviously, behind Brady, who might be the best quarterback in the history of the NFL. No, I mean, yeah, the NFL thing definitely is going to carry some status with his college career. But, I mean, if McCarthy wins the the national title this season and becomes only the second Michigan quarterback to do that, and he's won the Big Ten twice, like, you know, he, he will cement his legacy very, very high on that list. And, you know, Brady was a great college player. Like, they won, was it Orange Bowl against Alabama? Maybe. I don't think it was the Rose Bowl. I think it was the Orange Bowl against Bama that year. You know, he, he had a very solid college career. But, if you know, if he was a Heisman Trophy guy, he probably wouldn't have gone in the seventh round. It just it, it is what it is. So, you know, the, the McCarthy thing, we can wait for the season to finish before we, I think we give him a spot. But they're going to be playing Washington, who Sam picked to beat Texas. But Texas just, they seem to have like a balance this year with Quinn Ewers and the defense was just, you were like, is it just a little bit stronger than what Washington could throw out there for their defense? But Sam said, no, the, the Washington defense is good. The O-line has, and you know, he reminded us the O-line is one of the best in the country and the offense as well with Penix is as electric as any. And in this game, they were Penix was over 400 yards and by far the best quarterback in this game. I don't think that's surprising, but I think Ewers really had a chance to show himself. So, Washington versus Michigan is, you know, number one, number two in the standing. So seems like a very fitting matchup. But we, again, we've also said this season that there have been the teams that have been the best teams in college football, just eye test wise watching it. We have said it's been Georgia. It's been Michigan. And it was really whoever was able to survive the Pac-12 between Washington and Oregon. And I know Washington later on Oregon, but throughout the season, they looked like basically the even teams. So uh, to, for, to, for two of the three best teams in college football to be in the national championship game, I do think this makes sense. In Texas, I think it's a very strong team. But I just think looking back on the season, now that we're sitting here at a, a Washington-Michigan national championship, I do think that this is one of the, the most likely outcomes that we could have arrived to. Again, I think between them, those two teams, and then throw Georgia in there, those were the three best teams we had this season. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I definitely think I definitely thought Michigan was going to make it as far as they are. And then and when it comes to that second spot, if it wasn't Washington, I, I agree it was going to be Georgia. Uh, Georgia, unfortunately, left out of the college football playoff. Uh, I thought Texas is the like the better, well-rounded team when it comes to both sides of the ball than Washington. But uh, when you've got Michael Penix as your quarterback and that offense has just been as elite as it has been the entire season, uh, not even a defense like Texas is going to be able to come up and make the stops that they need to make. And Washington just proves that not only can they win the Pac-12, they can beat teams in other power conferences, and we'll see if they can take down the Big Ten champ. So before we talk about Washington quickly, just when you were Texas, I know we've been monitoring the Texas quarterback situation because of Arch Manning obviously lingering. 
did you did you see the media day photo at all of all the people gathered around Arch Manning's <laughs> table to yeah, interview Arch Manning that. and there's just nobody around the Quinn Ewers table? So I think you know if he if he has an amazing game and maybe you know even if they lose, but if he's awesome in this game, looks incredible, then I think the NFL thing is like almost a definite for him. But I think at this point, there's definitely like a couple of options he could take. And he could definitely still go to the NFL. And I don't know if he would be, I don't, he's not going to be a first round pick. I think a second round pick would probably be pretty high. But I think Quinn Ewers as a third round pick would be pretty safe floor for the kind of range that he could potentially go in. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he could also, if, if he goes back to college, it's returned to Texas. But with the transfer portal being the way it is now, he could obviously transfer. And like we said, they've had the Arch Manning thing lingering. So what would you do if you were Quinn Ewers in his situation? If he's calling you, asking for advice. If Quinn Ewers tweets at Fataport and says, at Fataport, what should I do for college football next season? Should, should he go to the league? I think his best opportunity would him stay in another year in college. Uh, the only problem is that I don't know if Texas is the place to do that because I, although I believe that he's right now probably the best quarterback on their roster, that might not be the case when it comes to the season next year. And then he runs the risk of being replaced halfway or at the beginning of the season by Arch Manning, and that's only going to hurt his draft stock more and more. So I think that right now, uh, if he were to stay at Texas, his draft stock's better right now. But I think that if he were to stay in college, find somewhere to go in the transfer portal, his call, his draft stock could go way higher than it is right now. Because I, I still think he's one of the better quarterbacks in college football. I just don't think he's quite ready to make that leap yet. And I think a big thing that's telling for where Texas wants to go with their quarterback position is Malik Murphy, who was the guy that was getting the minutes over Arch Manning. He was getting the backup minutes over Arch Manning this year. He's already also transferred. So yeah. there if, if if he was winning the minutes this season and he's already saying, hey, next season I might not necessarily be a viable starter, maybe that is the reports that Quinn Ewers is returning, but maybe that is something else as well, too. And I don't think those reports have necessarily been like, oh yeah, Quinn Ewers back at Texas. Like we're all in horns. Is it horns up? Is that their thing? Okay. Yeah. So, you know, if, if he is going to transfer, I think what would be some of the, uh, here's some of the, I think, potential options that he could uh, potentially do. And tell me if these are good ideas for Quinn Ewers. The first one, and this is actually the most scary for me personally, obviously. But what if he did an Ohio State return? And he, that's where he was originally committed to. You know, Quinn Ewers, former number one player in his class, committed to Ohio State in 2021. But before he committed to Ohio State, he had actually originally committed to Texas. So he decommitted to Texas Mm. to go to Ohio State and then transferred to Texas with uh, C.J. Stroud there last season, taking over the starting job. So McCord's gone. You know, Devin Brown, I think, did he get bent? in the bowl game against Missouri. I think they definitely played two quarterbacks. I didn't watch that one, but could he make the return? It's, it's something that he's done before. It'd be a MO, a pattern of behavior for Quinn Ewert. You like him in I Ohio be State? Surprised. I, I wouldn't be surprised. I think I would like it. I think they're in the hunt for a quarterback right now. 
Uh, they had McCord transfer. They had the number one recruit decommit and is now committed to Nebraska. Uh, so I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. It definitely would keep them in the race for the Big Ten, especially with the additions and the expansion coming in. So I wouldn't be surprised. I think I would like that. There's no like bad blood between him and the school at all. That does seem that does make a lot of sense, especially, you know, if there is some history there as well too, and they're familiar with his game. Another team that needs a quarterback, but I don't know if he would be able to. Would he be able to survive transferring to Oklahoma? Would the Texas fans make it? Would he be able to make it back Ooh. in the rivalry game? Oh, they still. I think tough. they're in that both in the SEC, so they have to keep playing. Yeah, that would. Be they tough. had Dylan Gabriel. Dylan Gabriel transferred to Oregon. They're in need of a guy. I guess, you know, Jackson Arnold is there if they want to go with a, a younger guy. But I don't know if bowl game was, I thought, you know, he looked fine. But when you were at Oklahoma, they might need a guy. I don't know. Could be Oklahoma, I mean, like, I, I could see it. Well, you've, you've got a guy in the NFL right now, Jalen Hurts, who started at Alabama, transferred to Oklahoma. Look what he's done. The other place for quarterbacks that makes sense is USC. And there, you know, Caleb Williams is going to the draft. Malachi Nelson is another guy that has entered the transfer portal as a, a high recruit. But is Miller Moss just the guy there now? Is Miller Moss had like six touchdowns in his bowl performance. He's he's either the guy or he's the living proof that Caleb Williams is a system quarterback. Do you have a lot of Miller Moss stock? I, I might, I might now. I mean, like he, he's doing, he arguably this game from him, let me pull up the box score, but yeah, I believe I saw that he had six touchdowns. Uh, and then the uproar from him was apparently that everybody on Twitter was talking about how Caleb Williams, after he threw for these six touchdowns, isn't as good just because now oh, Miller like, Moss is better. Say, like, I don't know if they say Miller Moss is better, but if Miller Moss can do that in USC's offense and then the supposed like best quarterback prospect we've ever seen can can do about the same thing, is it just USC's offense that makes them good or is Caleb Williams actually good? I think people forget with Caleb Williams sometimes. It's like the physical gifts as well that yeah. make him the you know, the number one quarterback prospect, at least you know, potentially for this class. Forget about, you know, the all-time stuff, but at least for this class. And Louisville as well, too, was, I think, like, everybody was kind of in that game. It's not like they had a lot of holdouts, at least the key guy. We got the Miller-Moss highlights pulled up here. We got a nice, you know, a nice little find over the middle. That first touchdown, definitely some yards after the catch. Good play by Washington, the receivers. So, I mean, he definitely did some good things in this game. But I think uh, USC... Twitter needs to settle down a little bit, but looking, you know, looking <laughs> ahead to the, the Michigan Washington matchup. Let me look up the line really quick. I, I haven't looked at it yet. So who would you guess would be the favorite for this one? Is it, uh, is it definitely Michigan, Michigan just because they're number one? Just, I think, yeah, because they're number one, they just be arguably the hottest team right now in college football. Can you guess this? Okay. I got it pulled up. Can you guess the spread? Four and a half. Oh, right on. That's Ian Fat. That's Ian Fatiport on Twitter, ladies and gentlemen. If you guys want to give him a follow, I know he puts a parlay on there every now and then. That's, so, yeah, that's you know, just that's just me being the degenerate better that I am. <laughs> you know, our guy is looking at the books 
but four and a half. Does that does that seem right? I mean, that was your guess, but is that is that seem right to you? If like in my mind, I look at it as like Michigan has the way better defense than Washington, but Washington's offense has been arguably number one the entire season. So as long, yeah, I could see it. What's the total score? The total for this game is fifty-five and a half. Ooh, they've got as a high score. So they're not ex- well. Fifty-five and a half is that? That's that's twenty. I can't do math. That's twenty-seven apiece. Twenty-seven that's, and a yeah, half. Just about twenty-eight. Like a thirty to 27. 27 28. But the 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 thing like the thing that I have for this game, and I you know I tend to be a pessimistic fan sometimes, but the, like we've been saying, this Michigan team is, and I think it's, you know, we've been saying it's one of the best teams in college football, but the Washington offense, like the, the, the unit of receivers that they have right now is, I mean, it's the best in college football, but when you have a group of guys like this, like just go through the recent cores that we've seen last year, you know, Georgia obviously wins the national title, but the team that pushed them the closest, was that Ohio State team with the uh, Marvin Harrison Jr., JSN? You know, they had the best receiving core last season. Georgia, you know, back to back years, but 2020, you've got the Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell, John Mechie crew, Devontae Smith Heisman. They win the national championship. 2019, you've got Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson. That's the Joe Burrow team. They win the national championship. You 2018, you have Trevor Lawrence, but 2017, you've got uh, Calvin Ridley. Jerry Judy, the Henry Ruggs combo in Alabama. So outside of, you know, a transcendent Georgia defense, like maybe the best defense we've seen in our lifetime. And then Trevor Lawrence, who's one of the best college quarterbacks that we've seen. These group of receivers are kind of the thing that are the, the you know, they're kind of the last man standing at the end of these college football seasons. So while, again, I do think that this Michigan defense is a really great defense. Do you think it's enough? to take down these receivers or do you think these, cause I do think that these receivers are pretty close, at least as a collective being on that group, because they have like, the thing is they have like three or four guys where they, you know, you get like yeah. a Jefferson chase and then a Terrence Marshall as a third. But I mean, like you got the, the, that first, it wasn't a touchdown, but that first big reception that Polk makes, where he like catches it in stride and then just stops on a dime and spins back and creates space and almost gets a touchdown. And then a Dunze in this game was of course doing incredible things. So the, I did the history of the, the, the powerful receiving core in college football makes me nervous. It's scary. And yeah, we're going to see Michigan secondary is going to have the toughest test that they've had all season. Uh, Penix threw for 430 yards against Texas who I think their secondary was known for being one of the better ones. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I thought that's what I, yeah, their defense has been, I think their defense has been really solid and their defensive line as well, too. Like like we've been saying with the Alabama line, you know, the, the O line and the, both of their lines had weaknesses and the Texas line did not. And the Washington O line played very well against the Texas D line. So it was all these phases where we've been saying Texas is, I think, I, you know, could they be, if, if Michigan is a 99 rating, could Texas be a 95? Like, is there a little bit of degree of separation between those teams? But they are pretty similar teams, balanced teams. You know, the quarterback makes a lot of plays, but they need the run game as well, too. 
great, you know, college quarterbacks questions about the NFL thing where, where Penix is probably going to be first round guy. So I think, you know, I, again, I don't want to be the pessimistic guy, but Washington at four and a half with this offense. And Penix they, was number yeah, two in the Heisman voting they, this year. It's scary. I think they're going to keep it close the entire game. It's, it's going to be a shootout. I think whoever gets the stop last or who, yeah, whoever can get the stop last wins this game in my, in my eyes. You want to make an official prediction? Do I even want to hear you make an official prediction? I can cover my ears. I, I don't even know. Like, I was so confident that Alabama was going to beat Michigan. And for yeah. the Washington-Texas game, I didn't even pick anybody to win just because I thought it could have been a yeah. toss-up. So, I was only liking Washington because Sam was Sam was set on Washington. So I was like, well, I'm not sold on it. So if Sam was really in on Washington, then I'm picking Washington. So shout out to our guy for my, putting me in the green. Yeah, I really like Washington's offense. But the problem is I don't really like their defense and I don't really trust them to be able to make the stops against Michigan because like that the well, run you know, game but- for Michigan has just been cutthroat fucking run the ball as hard as you can through your neck the entire season and I don't think any defense in college football right now stops that. So I I don't even know if I want to even make a pick. No, Corum's like just Corum's running ability. Corum might be just one of the best runners that I've seen in a long time. And I know, you know, you get a guy like Bijan who's just got, gets like the speed and the quicknesses, you know, in Saquon with the power. You get stuff like that. But the cuts that Corum was making in this game, like the vision, he just finds the right spot every time. That last yeah. touchdown where he bounced, he, he, he was like at the center and then like bounced it out outside, like between the tackle. It was just like he's, you know, been phenomenal. And, uh, you know, don't no disrespect to McCarthy. Forum, I think, again, was probably the best offensive player in this game. So, and, you know, like we were saying with Dallas Turner, I think Trice is going to be rushing the passer in this one. And weirdly, you know, individually a tougher test for the Michigan O-line. So I am too, I am too afraid to make a pick for this one. I am too scared. This, this Washington offense is scary. Milrow is, Milrow was already one of the best quarterbacks that we faced. And Penix is a passer, obviously, it already up on a different level. So, you know, the the, the, the Bama win was a good win, but this is going to be tough. They definitely, the, the thing is, Michigan definitely, like, they really celebrated. They really soaked in the moment. So, mm-hmm. you know, we'll just, I, I, I know they do think about the bigger picture, but again, this Washington offense is scary. So, you know, en- I, enough on Michigan, enough on my team. I think it's talk- time to talk about your team because they were also kind of leading oh. the NFL news cycle this week. The Russell Wilson benching. How do you, how are you feeling after the Russell Wilson benching the- was official? Like the, the situation that they brought upon him was completely fucked up in my opinion. Like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna take thirty seven million dollars from you and sit you so that we can just go ahead and cut you in the off season. Uh, it, like the way that they wanted him to restructure his contract, like they wanted him to like make changes that that team took to him in the off season and agreed on. And now they're like, you we're, you gonna make these changes or we're gonna cut you and we're gonna we're gonna bench you and we're gonna cut you. And obviously, from like a business point, Russell Wilson had every right in his mind to like say, no, I'm not going to do that. Like these are the terms that were agreed upon. Like he understands that he probably didn't bring what he wanted to bring to Denver. But like the standpoint on the financial side of the front office, taking it to him as more of a threat than like a conversation 
was just completely fucked up. So you're on Russell Wilson's side in this issue, and are, you're on his side because of the way it was handled? I'm on his side, yeah, for like the personal reason on why it was handled. I think, uh, and I also don't believe that benching him at the time that we did was right just because we weren't like mathematically out of the playoffs. And I think mm-hmm. that he provides us a better chance to win than Jared Stidham does. Don't get me wrong, Jared Stidham, he had a good game against the Chargers and we got the job done. But uh, I would have liked to wait until this week to bench him because now we're mathematically out of the playoffs. Uh, we've got a backup who might honestly, knowing Denver, could become a starter next season just out of like the little amount of options that we have in the offseason. So like, give him some time. So I understand like the playing skill side of it, but from the business side and the way they treated Russ throughout this whole like process, I completely disagree with. And, you know, to what you're alluding to for the reason that they're doing it the week that they did it is, you know, like you're saying, they went to him and said that if he doesn't waive this guarantees, he's going to be off the team. But the, 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 the NFL Players Association actually got involved because you, know, you can't threaten a player to, no. to you're going to take away his money with his performance. Like you can these you can't do these things. So the NFL Player Association got involved Said no, you can't pull him due to contract reasons. So they had to wait until he was playing to a level where it was like, okay, you know, they, they have lost a couple of games. Now it becomes harder to dispute the performance aspect of things. But yeah. you're right. Like, they were in the playoff race. And I know he did take a little bit of a dip, but he was also on a little bit of a hot streak as well, too, before that. So maybe he goes back up a little bit. Again, like you're saying, it's winning the division. It's relying on Casey to lose. It's it's a long shot. So there is, again, you know, it, it's a small percentage, but it's it it seems it's it's the concerning thing is again like what they're prioritizing here for me, anyways. On yeah. the outside looking in, it's what they're prioritizing, and I you know, the quarterback situation is important, but you've already like you're saying they you've already played yourself into this hole. You've already paid Russell Wilson the money. And you still are at an outside shot. Look, just finish the season. Just be competitive, play hard, finish the season. And like, you know, once they get eliminated, you sit in for one game, you let the backup play. We've seen that a million times. That makes a ton of sense. But the the way the relationships were handled, and this is not this is not something that Sean Payton has not gone through before. I mean, he has had issues in New Orleans, you know, different reasons paying players to do certain things, but he is a guy that has these sketchy pasts with these player relationships, as as does Russell Wilson as well, too, with his time in Seattle. So, you know, just how does this make you feel about Sean Payton going forward? Because it, it seemed like you were, I mean, you were definitely choosing to go with him in the rebuild. Not that you would choose to rebuild around Russell Wilson, but you went out, paid him the big bucks, got your guy, and kind of put the franchises in his hands. So the on-field stuff was already one thing with him for this season but after this kind of you know locker room off the field kind of drama like how do you feel about him as the guy with the keys to the franchise going forward I mean he's still obviously not the guy that came from Seattle that we were expecting but like when John you like put the numbers side no I'm talking about Russell Wilson uh but when oh, sorry, you put the numbers side by side, like 2022 and 2023, he took a giant step forward. Like he's top 10 in passing touchdowns. I think he's top 10 in touchdown to interception ratio. He's got like a 70 plus completion percentage. 
he is a much better quarterback this year than he was last year. And he's only two years into a seven-year contract in our, in our front office is like, okay, we give up. We're going to cut you. We're going to bench him so that we don't owe him another $40 million. And I think it's just like a, almost like a scumbag thing to do. So like my, like, uh, like my opinion on like the Broncos franchise has completely changed just off of this, like one situation where like, obviously I'm still a fan. I might not agree with like the way these changes came about, but like at the end of the day, my, my thought on it doesn't matter because I, a 21 year old guy who lives in the middle of bumfuck Iowa, isn't going to change the fact of it. So like the other big picture thing here with your quarterback situation, it's not just, you know, the Russell Wilson relationship piece of it. And, you know, Russell Wilson is like you're saying, he obviously hasn't lived up to the number that you have given him, but what, what else do you do? Like, where do you go from here? Because if it's not Stidham, then it's just, you know, with the, with the, still with the cap situation, with having to eat Russell Wilson's money, it's going to be a little bit harder to go out and get a quarterback. And if you're going to try to draft the guy, well, why didn't you just do this to start the season and tank? It's a good quarterback class. Go to the top. So, I again, like I get the performance thing about this, but with the fact that there was at least some improvement this season, and it's just like, it's just like what else are you going to do? Like, you kind of have to be super sold on Stidham as the guy for the future. Is that is he just like, we're going all in on Stidham? So I don't really I know what, don't else think, the, what else the plan is. I just don't think they gave Russ enough time to do what he could do in Denver. Like last year, he was coming off of an injury in Seattle. Uh, he was under arguably the worst play caller in the history of the NFL. Uh, Nathaniel Hackett, if you listen to this, <laughs> I hate you. Uh, and then this year, like, he took a big step up. Uh, he got, like he has Sean Payton, who's uh, one of the better coaches in the history of the NFL when it comes to records and like, play styles with older quarterbacks. Uh, he increased his level and they're still just, they're still going to say like, Oh, we're not going to go with you. We don't want to see where this goes. Like it's increasing. Like it's on a steady increase from last mm-hmm. year. And they're still just going to be like, you know what? No. Uh, but I think our best bet from here is uh, if we can't get like a star, like Drake may or Jane Daniels in the first round, I think we draft defense. And then in the second round, if we can get somebody like Penix, Bo Nix, or like I would even be all right with JJ McCarthy. I was gonna ask if you if you get McCarthy, can he turn the? Would you be a, Would you like a a shot with McCarthy? Turn the franchise around. It's not gonna leadership? happen right away, but I think with the yeah with the I leadership that he's showing at Michigan, and I think that he could carry that into Denver with the locker room, who's obviously on a bunch of different sides right now. So I, I would like it. I think I prefer Michael Penix out of all the quarterbacks that we can get in the draft just mm. because we need somebody who can stand in the pocket and throw a bunch of deep balls. And then uh, and then when we run the ball, we don't need it to come from our quarterback. We can have it come from Javante Williams if they, if they keep Jaleel McLaughlin as well. I like what he has the chance to be able to help us in the run game as well. So I think Penix is our best option if we can – steal a draft pick there. If he can fall into the second round and we can somehow sneak away with him, that'd be best case scenario as of right now. So right now you guys are sitting at 14. So sneaking into the top of the lottery in the NFL draft and tankathon right now does have you guys drafting defense. They have uh Nate Wiggins, yeah. the corner out of Clemson to uh, help out Pat Sertan mm-hmm. upgrade the, is are, are yeah, those still the Mathis it. minutes over there? Yeah, no, it's uh, 
it is now Foster Moreau, and then our nickel corner oh. is Jaquan McMillan. Foster Moreau but, is the classic. We need to draft. If we have Foster Moreau, yeah. we're in. Uh, we're we need to draft some help. Yeah, we need to draft a cornerback territory. But they have Penix right now. And maybe, you know, it's the age and the NFL thing. So maybe the NFL is Penix is going to be a second round guy or age and injury thing. Sorry for the, but for the NFL guys, but maybe Penix is going to be a second round pick, but they have met 43 right now. Still the Minnesota, just like we were saying yeah. in, earlier in the season, but they have Penn, they have JJ McCarthy, 42, one pick above it. Yeah. If we want McCarthy if, over if Penix we, as an NFL guy, if I completely disagree with that, but Mm. Uh, if yeah, if we're gonna want somebody like Penix or even McCarthy or probably Bo Nix, we're gonna have to trade from our our second round pick up probably five or six spots. Which uh, I mean, depending on the haul, I would be all right with that as long as we're not making some type of bullshit Seahawks trade like we did. A couple of other quick options I wanted to throw at you because the thing is, like, you haven't officially. I don't think officially you have said that you're gonna cut Russell Wilson, right? Like you think. Officially, no, it's just all speculation right now. It's just sources at this point. It's insider info, but like yeah. it, you know, there is going to be some move. So, if if you're willing to sacrifice the money, maybe there's a potential trade partner in there as well too, where you can take on a bunch of the salary and still move him for some kind of asset. So, like Pittsburgh, for example, could you get if you're willing to take you know, take a bunch of the salary? So Pittsburgh doesn't have to spend any money. Would you just do Kenny Pickett for Russell Wilson? And just at least get something in return? No, because the the problem with it, the problem with that is like, if we find a trade partner, we're going to need so much in return based off of what we spent on his contract. Plus we're still paying him. Uh, We would probably. But if you're willing to cut him though. Yeah, but I think we would lose more money taking on his contract rather than just taking his dead cap. Because his dead cap money is still mm. a lot. But if we're still paying some of those years, if he were to be traded to another team, we're going to need so much more than just a quarterback who hasn't proven himself in the league yet. Yeah, we'll need IT to check in to see how the trade rules work for that. If uh, yeah, if they dead cap it or if you take on the whole salary. I'm trying to think of who the last player was that made that type of deal. Because there was one recently where... Was it Leonard Williams? But let's see, the thing with the Leonard Williams, too, was he was an expiring deal, I think. So they only had to, yeah. to pay it for one more season. So I guess we're, we're going to have to check that out and see uh, how oh, that works. Giants because to Seahawks? To Seahawks, yeah. Because the thing is, if yeah. you're willing, again, if you're willing to cut him, is there some world where you could at least get anything, any like anything in return, even if it's a distressed asset? At all, and you know, like if you're if you're already willing to cut the losses on the trade, because you're not gonna you're not gonna recoup that. But yeah, I don't. Just, you know, I was assuming that I was assuming that we just have to pay more for his contract than we would if we just like took his dead cap and cut him. Like if that's the case where it would be the same amount, then I I would be okay just trading him for maybe like a backup corner somewhere, mm. some sort of defense depth and then use our, but you already that, have a backup corner you have foster to, moreau maybe maybe a backup corner who's a little bit better than foster moreau because that would allow us to free up that first round pick to be able to use on offense practice squad corner 
Boss Morel. He's hanging. He's been hanging in there for a while. He yeah. still keeps popping up on NFL teams. But a uh, couple other games I wanted to throw at you really quickly. Cowboys over Lions. Another dramatic finish. We were talking about uh, Bama over Michigan. Dramatic finishes for the Detroit teams this or the Michigan teams this week. And, you know, the Detroit team on the wrong side of it. I just wanted to ask you, I, you know, we can do this off the record as well, too. I know, you know, you're a connected guy. I know you, have, you don't want to offend any of your sources. I know you're, you know, you've got important connections. But how, how rigged do you think the NFL actually is? Like being <laughs> totally honest. How, okay. what is the percentage? If you could put a percentage on it, how rigged is the NFL? First of all, I'll start with this situation for the Lions game first. If what the Lions said happened actually happened, where uh, Decker went into the huddle, Goff told him to go report, he walked up to Brad Allen, he said report, and he walked away. As an NFL officiating crew, how do you fuck that up? Like how, like something so straightforward, how, how do you fuck that up? You see Brad Allen in the clip. I think the viral clip is you see Decker go to Brad Allen, say report. Brad Allen then goes to the front of the Cowboys defensive line, informs them that Decker has reported as eligible. And then they just claim that the other guy who lined up in the tackle spot reported that Decker never reported. And that an eligible receiver downfield can't catch that ball, and then that just doesn't count. Like, I don't understand, like, how you fuck up such a crucial moment. And especially Dan Campbell, who came out and said that he discussed this exact moment with the referees before the game, and they still fuck it up. He let him know. He let him him know what they were going to do in that situation. And I'll see if I can can find the clip. But I think, so, obviously not defending the refs, but just what... I believe that they had said it happened was, and again, this is what the Lions had said was going to happen. Two players were going to walk over to, to disguise for the Cowboys, which of the guys was checking in. So they were trying to be tricky about it. The problem was they just tricked the ref and the ref, I think got confused. So here, let me see if I can find the clip. Yeah. And I and think while you're looking that, at, it's like, I don't know like what they have in place when it comes to like reviewing refs and games and stuff, but like I would gladly be paid like just like seven dollars an hour to read the entire rule book of the NFL and replay through as many referee games as possible just to know who needs suspended or not. Just you could be the official Adaport wants to be the official ref suspender for the NFL. And looking at this clip, we've got so in the clip we're watching here. It's number 58. Is that Sewell and Decker? That's not even because the report was, I thought the report that I saw was they were saying number 70. Yeah, I saw 70 as well, but that number looks like Sewell and Decker. Well. But even in that clip, Brad Allen looks Decker straight in the fucking face. Yeah. Like, Decker he, have him, a, he doesn't even have like a visor. He looks him in the eyes. So somebody's there's like a double lie going on. They're disguising for some reason who they were getting confused with. So would you say like he wouldn't nine percent rate? I don't. I mean, yeah, like I like you wouldn't look at somebody who wasn't talking to you. Is my thing. So is like obviously just, he's he's looking at him directly in the eyes as he's saying report. He goes to tell. He just he just said the wrong number, I guess. 
but it's still it's insane. Is it just because this the thing is, it's not like the first thing that we've had this year. And I think the ref thing always, you know, we always remember the the bad ref stuff. And I think every year it's like, oh, is this a bad ref season? But I mean, like, think of that Eagles matchup as well, too. Was that was that the Eagles that had the rep that was like a Eagles hometown fan <laughs> making a call from? I forget which week that was and which game that was. Do you remember that? I don't remember it. It sounds funny, though. There was like there was like some ref that was an Eagles fan. But the thing so the thing that I that makes me at least look at this a little bit differently now is like just the amount of outcomes that rely on these NFL games are more than ever before. Like the amount of stuff connected to the NFL has just continued to grow and boom, like the TV stuff. And now, especially with the gambling stuff, the gambling stuff yeah. has always been like the underground thing. Will this get in? Will they get the refs? But now it's like totally public. So now it's like it doesn't it doesn't even have to be like the mob got Donahue like in the NBA. Like it could just be <laughs> what if like what if the ref just takes the over on FanDuel because he's in he's in Kansas for the week? Like and, you know, it's 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 legal. Like it is that easy now in that, you know, just the amount of outcomes that this stuff relies on. So I, you know, I, I don't know if the NFL necessarily rigs things, but I do definitely think that they want certain outcomes. And, you know, if you're going to do that, it would be through the ref. And I don't, you know, again, I don't know if the league, I don't know if the league ever goes to the refs and says, Hey, do this or if it's what do you so what, what do you think would be a bigger threat would it be the league wanting outcomes or would it be the refs themselves you know on an individual level like maybe like you know like we were saying fan of a team a guy's got a parlay and just some guy kind of going rogue would it just be like would a rogue agent be a bigger threat than like a group I conspiracy think, we want cowboys in the super bowl type ordeal I think if it was like a big group conspiracy, it would be like a bigger deal. But I, I think like what would be like more like reasonable about happening would be just like a rogue ref who like maybe not even like themselves betting on the game, but betting on it through like family members or friends. That way their name doesn't like mm -hmm. pop up on anything. Like that's like you've had like college players bet through their parents and stuff. And that's how that's kind of come uh, into play with those rules. So like, I think, yeah, if, if these refs are betting on these plays, betting on these games, and then are able to, like, impact something like this bad, like, I don't understand, like, looking at these clips from this game, how you mess that up. Like, me, as, like, a normal human who does not play football, has no referee experience, just, like, simple common sense, I don't understand how you, you mess that up. And it just, it seems like, I know the betting thing can also be an issue, too, but as simple as it is, I think the fandom thing now is potentially a bigger issue because even going back, you know, football has always been huge in America, but, but in some way is connected to football somehow in like they, in like that they have a favorite team or favorite players and like they're watching clips and stuff. I just, you know, I just do think that these refs, even if, even if it's like subconscious or rooting for something, like they just have to be. Like everybody now watches football and consumes it and likes guys and have opinions and wants things to happen. 
that I think also too has to play a factor into it. So yeah, I, you know, I don't know if this was like a, a just a, the, yeah, Brad Allen just made like the worst mistake of all time. Like that, uh, that is also like, it does like totally very, very possible, but there is like a, oh, I don't know if I even want to put a percentage on it, but I, there is like, there, I, I will say there is a, there is a percent chance that something is going on. I don't know what the percentage is, but I think for some reason after this season, I do think I would be open to it because the refs have just been really sketchy this yeah. year. And it does seem like with the offsides as well, too, like the, the way that, so when they call the offsides on Tony in that Chiefs game, the offensive offside, and just the way after that, too, they cranked up the offside call. And it was <laughs> like, okay, are they, yep. are they trying to just be like, oh, no, yeah, this is just something we do all the time. Like, this is totally normal. It's part of the game. Or is it, are they just, like, oh, did the league say, hey, maybe this is something that we've been slacking on and we need to pay attention to? But it's like, okay, clearly they care. They're being told things and things are shifting and moving around. So I know, you know, it's unfortunate for Detroit. And, you know, who knows if they end up winning the game, whatever. It's like, you know, it's one of those things, seems likely that they do if they get the play. But, I would, I would be, I would be slightly open to something, uh, something being up for the NFL. But CD Lamb had a big game in this game, just to shout him out quickly. And mm-hmm. his season in general this year, through 16 games, he has already set Cowboys franchise records for receptions, receiving yards, and he's second all time for Cowboy uh, receivers in catch percentage as well too. the 92 yard touchdown he had this week is the second longest receiving touchdown in Cowboys history. So I, I, I like, I like the fact that he broke the receiving and the receptions record through 16 games, because now that there's 17 games, like the single season totals can get skewed a little bit for some of these franchise records. But I, and again, he will have the other games. So those totals are going to go up, but he mm-hmm. did do it through the OG 16 game season. So, I think, you know, you can put CD Lamb season up. You know, I think I want to say it was like the 92 or 93 Michael Irvin season. That's maybe the other great Cowboys receiver yep. season. And, you know, for in terms of yards and I, you, know, you can go back in the older days for somebody that didn't get the amount of yards. But I like that he just did it through the standard games compared to having to need the the extra time. I thought, yeah, I like that. And not only did he do it through the standard amount of games, he did it the same night where Michael Irvin's team was being recognized because of Jimmy Johnson. And he does it mm. while wearing Michael Irvin's number, number 88. So I th- I just thought like all three of those things, it kind of just added up to be the perfect, perfect night to do it. There was a, oh, Pearson was the other 88 back in the day. I was trying to think who, there was like yeah, a Brian Bob Hayes. Well also wore 88. Ooh, you're right, Dead. It's, I know there's like a tradition there. With, uh, yeah, there's a there's a clip I just saw today of Michael Irvin on Jimmy Kimmel talking about it. He uh, he told the Cowboys he doesn't want his number ever retired because uh, oh. like his standpoint on it is when you retire a number, like fans will go to the game, they'll look in the rafters, they'll see it, be like, oh, there's Michael Irvin's number. The rest of the game, they're looking at the game. Instead, you've got Ceedee Lamb who's wearing number 88. Des Bryant wore 88. Obviously, Michael Irvin wore 88. When CD Lamb's breaking all these records, they're thinking, "Oh, this guy is the same. This guy does the same that that Michael Irvin did." When CD Lamb drops a ball, he's like, 
the fans would be like, oh, but when Michael Irvin wore 88, he wouldn't have dropped that ball. So he's like, his mind is like, everybody will still have Michael Irvin on their mind as people wear his number rather than if it's just hanging above them. So are you pro Jersey retirement? Did Michael Irvin talk you into it? It depends. It depends on the player. I think like Tom Brady obviously retired that jersey because like as of right now he's like. So you think maybe quarterbacks retire quarterbacks? Is that what you're going to get to? I think if you're almost unanimously the best player at your position in the history ah, of the sport, then retire it. But like if you just like if you set a bunch of franchise records and there's still players that are better than you and you want like your, your like number legacy to remind people that like that number wide receiver at this team is the best, then I say don't let him retire it. Let people wear it, especially like generational talents like C.D. Lamb. He's just proving Michael Irvin's point exactly right. So what if Russell Wilson was doing all this while he was wearing number 18? And he had showed up in Denver after the trade and was like, I'm here to save the franchise. I'm the next guy. Peyton, we've had the conversation. He took me out to dinner. You know, honestly, I wasn't even going to bring it up, but he brought it up first. He said, you know what? You should take the number and wear number 18, and then he just sucks. Would you be okay with that? You take him outside the stadium. You. Oh! I think IT might have to cut that out, but uh, we might have to... <laughs> that one might... IT, get the bleeps ready. When uh, Badaport starts talking about Russell Wilson, but... Uh... <laughs> Badaport's just a wild kid sometimes. It just Only, it is I what think it is. Russ is good. Don't get we, me wrong. Why but, we like, have and like in this hypothetical situation where like he hypes himself up to be Peyton Manning, who is probably, I put him as the best quarterback in Bronco, Broncos franchise history. John Elway was really good. Don't get me wrong. But uh, Peyton Manning led, led a top three yardage Broncos offense, top three yardage in any team's offense in the history of the NFL. And like, in my opinion, the second best quarterback in the history of the NFL. And then if he were to come in, say, oh, he's going to do all these things, go four and 13 in year one and then get benched in week 17 in year two, then I he, I would not be a fan of him ever again. <laughs> what, no, what number does Russell Wilson wear right now? Mike? Number three. Number three. Classic Russell Wilson. Yeah. Yeah. For some reason I was thinking, I was like, is he in number 13 right now? But, if he uh, gets cut, we might have to retire it just out of embarrassment. Oh, it just, it goes away. Is that, Not so that's the other side of the coin. Again. It's like, we can't ever remember this guy's <laughs> performance ever. Like There's we don't want to like, like that would be like known as what, like a shadow band. There's probably shadow band numbers in for certain shadow NFL band numbers. Like, these players have been so completely bad that we're not going to let people wear them because it's going to remind them of the players who were so awful. Is that a bit? Do we do that? Do we do that in the, is that a, is that a bit? Shadow band, number? shadow band numbers <laughs> we can go all-time guys that one might be <laughs> we'll, we'll workshop what, what, that one what number did jamarcus russell wear in las vegas or in, i guess it would have been oakland at the time is he number one he might be. i want to say mean, he was number our, one he's the worst number one overall player yeah you can say that number and he wore number two. Oh, so close what number is damari mathis uh, 27. I think. That would have been my guess. Are you shadow banning 27? All right. So the last player who wore number two for the Raiders was Terrell Pryor in 2013. 
Ooh, yeah, Shadow Ban. Who was the year? It needs to go he, away. He was the next number after Jamarcus Russell from 2007 to 2009. So nobody has worn it since 2009? Since 2015. Only one player has worn it since 2009. It was Terrell Pryor, the quarterback, who obviously... Oh, so yeah, okay. So 13. For his whole career. So nobody's so, worn yeah. it in a decade? In 10 years, nobody's worn number two. At least uh, this is what... This is what Google says. I'm going off of Google. So the first shadow band, we found the first shadow band number. Cause I think it, that is kind of unofficially <laughs> shadow band. If this, nobody is wearing it. Yeah. Cause I don't think it's not, that's not like a bad number. Guys would be picking number two, especially now. They would be that like the a other, quarterback you know, or like a receiver. Yeah. Yeah. Now that the other guys can actually wear the single digit numbers, some of the other positions, I feel like we just, uh, Found the first I'm gonna one. Go on but... the, I'm on their roster. I'm going to see if there's anybody. Shout out to CD oh, Lamb. I'm an idiot. For big performance. Daniel, Daniel Carlson currently wears number two. You're an idiot for not knowing Carlson's number? Well, I, well I'm an idiot for, yeah, because he's on my fantasy team. Oh. So you're locked in on the Carlson minutes. You've seen all the Carlson yeah, reps this year. I apologize. Well, Google lied to me. So they let the kicker wear it anyway. So still kind yeah. of semi shadow band. <laughs> shout out to CD Lamb. Is there anybody else you wanted to shout out this week in the NFL? Big performances. Uh, I'll shout out myself. Shadow band. Anybody? Uh, shout out myself for last March when I told people Lamar Jackson was going to win MVP, and then no one believed mm. me, and now he's going to win MVP. So we're putting so we're we're putting Lamar's number up in the rafters this week. And whose number are we shadow banning this week? Uh, this week we're gonna shadow ban number three because he got Russell mm. Wilson because he got cut for a quarterback who he did not play a single snap until this week this season. R.I.P. the Russell Wilson era in Denver. Next week, Fatterport's gonna rank top five favorite Russell Wilson moment in <laughs> the not, uh, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> not a lot on the field anyway. There might not even be five. I feel like if we go off the field, top five just moments? I didn't say they they're had to be, be good top, moments. They're going to be like top five moments, but they're all going to be because of the person he threw the ball to. Can we find just like the best passes that he actually threw in Denver? Because even I when he was playing well. the best pass that he's thrown for Denver was this year against the Bills was that toe-tap Sutton touchdown. Hmm. Because you can't put that ball in any other spot where he catches that. That's true, and that pass might have been. Uh, let me look up. Let me double check the percentages real that's, quick. That was that, like the number one catch opinion, of the season so like far. Top. Th that's top three catch of the season, if not number one. That was like a num. That was the number one catch when it when it came out for percentages. Yeah, it still is number one. Three point two. Yeah, he had. Yeah, he had a three point two percent chance to catch that ball. Bryce Young to DJ Shark. Uh, last week, 4. Justin 7. Jefferson's. Double covered catch. It wasn't yeah. like a hard catch, but it was cool. No, I think it, and it was clutch well, too. Third there. and long. Mm -hmm. Kind of reminiscent of what he did last year against the Bills. I know they got the win in last year's game against the Bills, but back to back yeah. years, Justin Jefferson uh, putting his team on his back. Oh, I saw it. I, I see. I'm looking at this guy's name here on the list, and I forgot to mention him as an option for quarterback replacements. What if Washington needs to move on from Sam Howell? Maybe you cut Russell him. Wilson. Would you would you float a float a late round pick out to Washington for Sam Howell? Absolutely. 
if, with, would you rather do a, that than draft a guy with any other offensive line in the nfl other than maybe the giants sam howell is a top five quarterback so sam howell not on the east coast is probably pretty good but i think put, yeah the like, giants the all of his downfalls Jets. and like all of the picks that he's thrown this season were oh, i man. put on the offensive line for how much pressure they had to face mm. the entire year would you rather McCarthy in the second round or Sam Howell with a? Did they did they draft him in the fourth? Uh, yeah, yeah. So if I mean, if you float him, if you've given him a fourth back, that's what the Niners got for Trey Lance. It almost feels like a lot. If I yeah, I almost wondered I mean, if they do give it for him a fifth round pick for Sam Howell. You would? Would you rather I'd do rather that do than that than draft JJ? So are you saying you'd rather have Sam Howell than JJ just straight up? Yeah. Oh. I want a quarterback who will throw the ball deep downfield. I don't know if I would take Sam Howell for this next game. If if the NFL was like, hey, you could just borrow Sam Howell for one for the national <laughs> championship. <laughs> I think I'd still stick with McCarthy. Just let's well, see what happens. I, right well, yeah, with that Pause. with that team, like the leadership and everything, you gotta keep them. Even but, though it would be tempting just because Sam Howell was. I mean, I mean we kind of have to do it. Out. You kind of have to do it. If you're trying to win, you have to do it. Yeah. Even that's though like, I do. I do. <laughs> that's like if Alabama against Michigan would be like, you know what, this week we're going to take Derrick Henry back and we're just going to play him against Michigan and hope we can win with Derrick Henry. Mac Jones? What if they're like, you can replay the game, but you can do it with Mac Jones? Would Alabama fans be like, Current oh. Mac Jones or college Yeah, Mac current Jones. Mac Jones. Bring him back. No. <laughs> no. Hell no. Leave him there. Milrow's the guy. I don't think I don't think Matt Jones is scrambling the way Milrow was in that game. No, not at all. I mean, Matt Jones still has to deal with the protection. Maybe he's able to uh, get the ball out quickly or something. But I don't know. Maybe Michigan's able to do do something against Mac Jones. I feel like we'd still be in a pretty good shot. But I don't know how to end this thing this week. We don't do any fantasy face-off. Yeah. It's Tuesday, so I was gonna I was gonna say we do like a parlay thing, but again, it's Tuesday, so they don't really put the parlay odds out. We can't really they have some... talk about that stuff yet. Maybe oh, for the oh, Thursday you, night you, game. You watch me. You want to give will, us a Thursday night game parlay? I will degenerate my way into this. You just wait. Let me pull up some lines here. Will Fataport gift us a parlay for the new year? There is a Thursday game this week, right? Week eighteen. Do we have one for the last week of the season? No. That's a good question. I don't think we did. Two Saturday games, and everybody else plays on Sunday. Ooh, yeah, that Colts-Texans no game is a playoff game. This week. Oh, there's a couple of them. Yeah, Colts-Texans is a playoff game. Uh, Saints, Bucks, and Falcons are all in the throw-ins to win the NFC South. Uh, Jacksonville has to win, and they have the uh, they have the AFC South. A lot of teams, a lot of playoff spots. If the Packers win this week, they move up to the sixth seed. Hmm. Are the Vikings still in the playoff picture? I don't think so. I hope the Packers, Packers, Packers lose because if the Packers win, it takes away our chance at a Rams Lions playoff game. And Lamar, I was going to say Lamar is now minus uh, two thousand for a for the MVP. I'm not even going to say yeah. if. I'm not even gonna say if when Lamar Jackson wins MVP, yeah. I will be tweeting my clip on like the week two of this podcast saying he was gonna win it like every day for a week after. I think that clip's gonna be on Ian Fatiport. 
on Twitter. Oh, yeah. If you guys want to give him a follow. And he'll be back next week as well, too. The NFL season will still be going. We got one more week of the regular season left. And then we've got playoffs. And then, I don't know, we might have to talk to our guy Fatterford and see what uh, we're going to do after that. But it's a new year on Rem and Sam. Thanks for joining us in 2023. And thanks for sticking around for 2024. Thanks for Guy Fatiport for jumping on the team. So it's going to be fun. The first episode, we're back. It was a banger. And there's going to be bangers every week. Pause from here on out for the rest of the year. So follow, give us five stars, and stay tuned.